Uh, Father, thanks so much for uh, the little bit of time that we get to spend together this morning. Pray that you would um, just alleviate fear uh, from us, if there's any anxiety that sits in us. Father, I pray uh, that you would allow us as your people um, just to live open-handedly, to be surrendered to you, um, to, to live in, in such a way um, that we're aware and we're available to be used by you any chance that you would call us to do that. Give us your eyes to serve. Help us not to run away where there's a need. Help us to run to the place where there's a need. That's what your church is, has always done. Throughout the ages, your church has always showed up. Um, and it's looked different, um, and, but your church, as your people, individuals, as part of your family, have always showed up. So help us to look for ways to be your hands and feet, I pray in Jesus' name. Uh, amen. Uh, Philippians 3, uh, we're going to keep in with our Philippians, uh, our study uh, right now. So go ahead and work your way over there. As you're getting there, I want to read something that Paul says from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, okay? So do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. Oh, I love that. I I don't just run around not knowing what I'm doing. I don't box as one who just beats the air. And Paul will go on to say, like, I beat my body, or I train my body. I work my body into submission. I I bring it to, to to tell it what to do, not my body to tell me what to do, but I tell my body what to do. There's this idea of training. This is the idea of getting ready for an event, getting ready for a race. That Paul And Paul is always giving out this imagery, uh, this athletic imagery of being in uh, a race or, or being in some type of physical contest. I just, I kind of lean towards those images. Uh, I, I think they're fantastic for us. But in this passage and what Paul has been doing in Philippians, he, he's been showing us over and over and over again that the greatest ambition of his life is to be somebody who knows Jesus, right? Not just to know about Jesus, right? But to know, to gravitate towards and to voraciously go after the one who's come after him, to go after him headlong. Uh, Last week we talked about uh, how Paul, he stacked up all these things that he would consider gains, right? These things that he said, man, I've lived my life for these, these things that have been positive in my life. And he stacks them all over here and he says, now we're going to put Jesus over in this category. And he says, everything that I thought was valuable in my life in comparison to Jesus, it's all worthless. It's all trash. It's all scuba. it's It's all dung in the trash heap. And he says, but Jesus, man, there's a passing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, makes everything in this this pan over here that I've valued my life on, it makes it all look like worthless garbage. And the question that we raise for ourselves is, is if we're stacking everything, our main ambitions in life, if we were to throw them all in this category and say, this is what makes my life valuable, and we were to compare it over here to Jesus, and, and Jesus doesn't make everything else dull in comparison, then we've got a conversation that we need to have with the Lord, right? We, we, we need to start pressing into him in, in, in some form or fashion. See, it's one thing for us to know that knowing Jesus is important. It's a whole other thing for us to begin to actually put that into practice. It's that whole difference between knowing something and putting it into practice. Anybody in here remember G.I. Joe? G.I. Joe growing up? Yeah, there we go. G.I. Joe, public service announcement. At the end of every episode, he would, he would, get, he would give the deal. Anybody remember it? Anybody just want to throw it out there? He would say, here it is, and now you know 
And then knowing is half the battle. Thank you, because you were in first service. Yeah, I'm so disappointed in the rest of you guys. So disappointed. But yeah, but it's this idea of, of knowing something but putting it into practice. And, and see, the problem for us typically finds itself in, it's not, a, it's not a knowledge thing that we have. We're not depleted of knowledge. We're not, like, we're, we're living in a, a day and age where knowledge is readily available to us anywhere that we look for it. The difficulty for us in the Christian life is, like, for most of us in the room, I would say that we probably know something about Jesus. Like, we, we've been around Jesus for a while. We've been around the Bible for a while. And so knowledge typically isn't the thing that we're struggling on. And though there may be some of you who are in the room, like, like Jesus just kind of isn't your thing, right? And like, you don't, like, you haven't been around the church, and you're new to the church, or you're new to Christ, uh, you're new to walking in faith, and so you don't, like, you really don't know anything. You're kind of a blank slate. Um, God bless you. Like, get after it, okay? But, but you're just like, I mean, I don't really know. But for most of us, knowledge isn't an issue. We have it. The hard thing for us in the Christian life is to take what we know and to start putting it into practice, right? To put it into practice. My, my guess is that there are people that are in the room right now that you're here because uh, you want to know more about the Bible. There's some of you like, just tell me more about the Bible. And that's a good thing. And, and there's probably some of you that are here just like, man, I want to know more about Jesus. Trust me, that's a good thing, right? You want to know more about Jesus. And, and, and some of you want to know, how does Jesus apply to my life? Okay, that, that's, a, that's a good thing. And some of you are here because you believe that in the context of community, when you're surrounded by like-minded brothers and sisters, that this is a demonstration of your faith and in growing into maturity in Christ, that we need this connection time together. And that's a good thing that we gather for that. But my guess is that there are some folks that are in the room right now that Jesus, for you, is really not the main thing, right? For you, Jesus is, maybe he's a thing, but he's not the main thing in your life. Um, that he's just like, it's just... I mean, like you're here right now because somebody brought you and you uh, maybe lost a bet last night and you're like, well, if, if, if one more person gets coronavirus, I'll go to church with you tomorrow. And you're like, okay, I'll, I'll be there. Or maybe you're here just out, out of fear, right? And you're like, I just don't know how to handle this thing. And so just, I, I need a place where I can try to find peace. And so you've walked in the door. Maybe you're here because your family brought you or your girlfriend or your boyfriend comes. And so this is that opportunity where you get to spend time together. And maybe if you're lucky, you might get to slip your arm around there when nobody's watching. And, and that's just kind of your thing. And so you're here for them. But Jesus isn't really the main thing for you, right? Maybe on some level, he's, it's aspirational. Like, I want to have a relationship with Jesus, I, I, I think that maybe that might be something I'm after, but aspirational, is it actual yet for you? You're just kind of here in that waiting and, and seeing mode. And so how do we go from this, like knowing more about Jesus, knowing that I need to know Jesus, knowing that he needs to be the greatest ambition of my life and, and press into actually knowing him when maybe it's not a true aspiration for me or it's not an actual thing for me when it's not, maybe it's not even like at best, it, it may be something that I'm just even curious about. So how do we go after the one who's come after us? How do we go after the one that makes everything else in our life look like foolishness if we're holding it in comparison to him and saying, this is so much better than you? How do we go after the one who came after us? We're in Philippians 3. The whole section that, that Paul gives us here in verses uh, 12 through 16 here. It's all about how and when, okay? How, how, how and when. If knowing Jesus is supposed to be the main ambition and goal of my life, then how do I do it? And if I know how do I do it, when am I supposed to do it? And so Paul is going to go after this, how and when. So if you want to write something down on, uh, in, in your margins, you want to write something down on, in the notes uh, that, was, that you have in your worship folder, just write down how and, and when. Uh, again, 
Paul's using the imagery here of, of running a race, this athletic imagery. And so what I want you to try to do, I want you to try to picture yourself in Rome, right? In all the audacity of Rome, ancient Rome, put yourself there. Put yourself in a stadium, thousands of people around you. If you need help, think about if you're a Kansas City Chiefs fan, think about how many people flood into the place and, and, and you're in the Chiefs and everybody's cheering like something's going to be happening here soon. And, and then inside that stadium, down on the ground, there are some uh, Greco-Roman citizens, right? Citizens of, of, of the area that are getting ready to run a race. They've got their cleats on, they've got their shorts on, they've got their jersey on, they're, they're in the blocks, they're ready to go. Actually, maybe they don't have shorts on. Maybe they don't have jerseys on because um, some stereotypes of the Greco-Roman world and common knowledge is usually the Greco-Romans, uh, or potentially, they ran without clothes because it's hard to run in uh, heavy garments, and so they would usually just kind of go out there naked. So try to keep that out of your mind, but understand this is the image. Like, this is what's going down, but they are ready for a race. And Paul's trying to get our minds into thinking about how are we going to run the race? In, like, you're there, you're in the stadium, how are the runners going to run? Verse 12, not that I've already attained this. This is an interesting word, right? Because it refers to everything back in verse 1 through verse 11, where he has said, he has become so much greater than this where Jesus has crossed the gap for me and I'm able to stand before God, where he said his righteousness has been applied to me and so I don't stand in my own righteousness, I stand in his. And the goal of my life is now, the main ambition of my life is to pursue and to know Jesus. And so this refers to everything that he's talked about in verse 1 through 11. And primarily, there's going to be a day where he gets to stand in the presence of, of God, okay? Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, Perfect could be translated as mature there or fully perfected. Uh, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I don't consider that I've made it my own. Now, I love this, right? Because this is Paul. This is Paul standing here as probably the most skilled Christian that the world has ever seen. And remember, like this is, this is ancient world. I mean, this is first century kind of stuff. And so we're not talking about billions of believers. We're talking about maybe thousands at best, that, that have become Christians around. And for Paul, he's become the one that they look to, the one that they look to for answers. He's become the, the, the one who is the illustration for them. Hey, follow me, he's going to say over and over again throughout the letters that he writes. He says, follow me. And, and so this is Paul standing there as one who said in chapter 1, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. This is Paul who has said, I've evaluated everything, and it's all rubbish. I count it all loss for the surpassing worth and the value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. This is the one who said, Jesus is my ambition in life. But I'm not there yet. But I'm not there yet. I haven't yet arrived. I want you to hear the humility of Paul. People who were looking to him as the example. He said, listen, God's done a great work but I'm not there yet. I haven't yet uh, arrived. Notice, though, in verse 12, he makes a point to say, I press on because Christ has made me his own. Like, Jesus has done the work in me. I don't earn anything. He's done the work, and because he's done the work in me, now I get to press on towards him. That's my goal. That's the race that I get to run. So I'm not talking about salvation. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about being righteous before Christ. We're just talking about uh, we were just talking about that uh, last week in verses 1 through 11. 
And Jesus did a great work. He did it on his own. It's something that I couldn't do myself. He lived a life that I couldn't live. He died a death that I couldn't die. He was resurrected in a way that I couldn't be resurrected. But one day, I'm going to benefit from that. He did all of the work. And so we're talking then not about salvation. We're talking about pursuing Jesus. We're talking about growing to maturity. We're talking about going after the one who's gone after us and maturing in the faith. And so what Paul says is, I press on because Christ had made me his own. See, only in the races that would take place, only Greek citizens were allowed to participate. There could be thousands of people who wanted to be in the stands like, man, I'd rather be down there on the field running the race but I can't because I'm not a citizen. I only get to be a spectator. So, so I, can't, I can't go down there and run the race. Only Greek citizens get to do that. And so, so Paul, he's not saying that, that I'm not able to be in the race. I'm allowed to be in the race. I, I, I'm there. It's, it's, not a, it's not whether or not I'm allowed to be in it or not. I'm already in the race. It was about now that I'm in the race. How's the runner going to run the race? He's got the clothes, he's got the jersey, he's got the cleats, he's standing in the stadium. And the question is going to remain, now that you're there, what are you going to do with the opportunity? Now that you're there, how are you going to run this race? The question remains, are you going to run or are you going to be complacent? Are you going to be content just simply being in the stadium? Are you going to be content with the fact that you were made a citizen and now you're allowed to be in the run, but you're just going to stand there, gun goes off, and you're just like, there goes everybody else. Maybe I'll start. Maybe I won't. How and when is what Paul is going to be addressing. And so see, if we're going to answer the question of how and when, we have to kind of adopt the mindset of Paul here. Man, I love God. I love him, but I haven't arrived yet. I, I love him, but he's still got work to do in me. He's still got some pruning to do in me. He brought me into the stadium, but there's a race to be run, and I'm not going to settle, right? I'm not going to settle here. I'm not just going to be content sitting here doing nothing. I've got work. Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, that there are works that have been prepared for us in advance for us to do, right? And so Paul's like, I've got a race to run. I've got work that God has already prepared for me to do, so I'm not going to be content just sitting here while everybody else is running the race. You know, um, there's this discontentment that Paul is expressing here. And uh, great pastor Warren Wearsby, he calls this a sanctified dissatisfaction. Try to put that one in your brain. A sanctified dissatisfaction. uh, Pastor Matt Chandler, who's one of my my faves, a guy that I listen to quite often, he calls it a holy discontentment. Holy discontentment. And this isn't some kind of like sinful discontentment where you're full of uh, fury or anxiety or fear, not knowing like if you're in the family or not because uh, you're in the family if you've got Christ. It's not, it's not this kind of thing that just goes back and forth like, man, I'm afraid to mess up because God is going to bring fire down on me and I'm going to be judged by him. That, that's not the kind of discontentment that Paul's talking about here because scripture teaches us that there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Right? There's therefore now no condemnation. And so believers aren't under the wrath of God anymore. Believers are under the grace and the mercy of God through Jesus, that his work has been applied to them when they come in Christ. So they're no longer under his wrath. They sit in his grace. And so there's no need to have this discontentment of like, I just don't know, and so I'm going to work my tail off, trying to figure out, hoping that I can make a way, hoping that I can make him smile, hoping that I can earn his favor, right? This is not what he's talking about. The discontentment that he's talking about here is this, this settled into uh, this holy discontentment that leaves us wanting to go after the one who came after us. That he's made me his own, 
And so I'm going to press after him. He brought me into the stadium, so now for me, it's time to start running this race. Listen to Paul's words again in 12. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I don't consider that I've made it my own. There's a sense of urgency that Paul has here, right? He says, man, let's, let's, let's get to work. God's done a great work in me, but I'm still growing. There's still maturity that needs to happen, and so I'm pressing on. And you're going to see this word press on come up in, in, in a couple different ways. You're going to see it as press on, but you're going to see it as um, uh, uh, kind of straightening out of the neck, straining to get to the prize, like getting everything you got. The word press on and the straighten that has the idea of, of a hunter, right? A hunter who is going out and like he is pulling back the bow and he's, re- he's ready to take his game, right? It's, it's straining forward to get what's there. Straining forward. But what can often happen uh, in the life of a believer is that uh, we come to Jesus and there's a complacency that can sit in, right? There's this place of, man, I've entered into his grace and so this is not anti-grace. Grace is never meant um, to to say that you you can earn or you don't have to work, right? uh, Earning and effort aren't the same. Effort, it comes because Christ has done a great work. He's made me his own, and so I work out of that place. But there's, there's this, this complacency that begins to set in. Sometimes when we become believers, like, you know what? He brought me into the stadium. I'm just going to be content sitting here and watch everybody else run the race, and that's okay. We're just fully satisfied in the work of Christ, fully satisfied in the work that Jesus has done, which we should be, fully satisfied in the fact that he's given us new life. But then we sit there and we don't grow into this new life. We sit back on our hands. We sit back on the couch and forget that we haven't been called to a couch, that we've been called to a cross, to follow Jesus wherever he might lead and wherever he might take us, whether that is uncomfortable or whether it's comfortable, that we would always put his mission above our own uh, comfort, right? But we settle into this place of complacency. It's, it's almost like somebody, like if, if somebody came to you and said, hey, I'm giving you a brand new car. I'm like, oh, yeah, you gave me a car. But they give you this car and you're, you're like, I've never driven before, I don't have my license, and, and then so they give you this car, and there's no desire to go get your license, there's no desire to learn how to drive the car, and so it just sits out in the driveway. It looks really, really good sitting out in the driveway. Let, let's, let's go ahead, let, let's give you a McLaren, okay? Big, big time, right? So you've been given a McLaren, and it's sitting out into the driveway, like, oh, that looks so nice, it's such a nice car, and, uh, but you take no effort in figuring out how to drive this thing. No effort into being legal to, to go and get a license to drive the thing. And so for a while, it looks good sitting out in the driveway, but after a while, there's no maintenance that's been done. It hasn't been driven, and so it just begins to rust. It begins to no longer look good sitting into the driveway. Now, it would be a thousand times more, uh, it would make a thousand times more sense to say, you know what? You're giving me a car? Thank you! Thank you for giving me a car. I've never driven before. I don't have my license, but you know what? I'm gonna go out and get my license if I can today. I'm gonna figure out how to get my license. I'm gonna figure out how to drive. I'm gonna figure out everything about this car, and I'm gonna get this thing out on the road as soon as I can so that I, so that I can experience the joy of this thing on the open road. And McLaren needs to be on the road, right, Andy? It doesn't need to be sitting in a driveway. If you own a McLaren, that thing needs to be down the road. It, there's a difference in the car just sitting in the driveway and then getting out and getting some miles under the tires. Paul is saying, we have this great gift that we've been given, and it's time for us to get it out of the driveway, and it's time for us to get it out onto the road. And so the question lends to us, like, 
man, is, is our car still sitting in the driveway? Is the gift still there? So, I mean, it looks really good out there, but are we getting any miles on, on, on the tires? Are we content with it just sitting out there? I think it's time to get it out on the road. And the question is, when are you going to do that? <laughs> when are you going to get the car out of the driveway and out onto the road? It's time to get some miles on, on the thing. Um, to bring it into Paul's context here, when are you going to get it off? When are you going to get off the blocks and start running down the road? He's given us to race to run, and it's time to get like the the gun's been fired, and it's time to start going down the road. God puts you in the stadium to run the race, run the race that He's set in front of you, not to run somebody else's race. Right? A lot of times we get all wigged out because somebody else, like they're running their thing and they're going a thousand miles an hour, and you're like, man, I can never do what they're doing. And so you start comparing yourself to Jill and compare yourself to Bill and to Sonia and to Matthew, and you're like, man, I can never do what they're doing. And then and then you're like, well, I I can't, I can't, so I won't. Or you're just like, man, I'm just so much better than them, and so I'm down the road. And you're like, look at them, they're terrible. And and we start playing this comparison game, but. The race that we've been given to run isn't Joe's race. It's not Jill's race. The race that we've been given to run is your race. The prize that's set before you is yours to go after. It's you who have to get off the blocks to start heading down that road. Paul said earlier in chapter 2 to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Right? And James told us uh, a couple of weeks ago as he was teaching through this, he said very pointedly that we've got to work out what God has worked in. He's done a great work inside of us. And so we've got to begin to work out what he's worked. Guys, that's running the race, right? That's taking what God has done inside of you and saying, you know what? You're going you're gonna to be the one who wills me to work. You're going to be the one who wills me to do good. But it's me who's got to go out and do it. You're going to do the work through me, but I've got to be available for you to do that. It's running the race. And so what's that mean for us? It means that the Christian life, it's not static, right? The Christian life is not us just sitting on our hands. The Christian life is not us just sitting, like, it's, it's, we're never satisfied with where we were, and that sounds a little bit kind of, kind of trite, right? Like, what do you mean we're never satisfied? Jesus did a great work. We should be satisfied. How does that have anything to do with rest and grace? It has everything to do with rest and grace, because we work from what he's done. We don't work for what he's done. We work from what he's done and what he's done for us. And so our desire is not to live on yesterday's connection. Our desire isn't to live for 10 years ago connection, the relationship that we used to have with Jesus. Our desire is to press in and be saturated and satisfied with Jesus right now, right? In this moment where we are in our lives, in, in, this week, right, where we're sitting, pressing into him to relieve anxiety, pressing in him to relieve any kind of fear, to be satisfied with him. And I think for us, what that means is that we begin to cultivate this relationship with Jesus that causes us to press in. We gotta cultivate this thing that he's given so that we can run the race that he's set forward. And I think for us that means uh, that, that we um, become students of ourselves, right? We become students, and you start talking about being a student, you're like, I don't wanna, I don't wanna do any work, I don't wanna study, I don't wanna, like, I don't wanna do any introspection. I, I think being a student of yourself allows you like, to go there, right? That, that, that space in your heart, like, I just don't want to go there, to like, to know what's going on inside here, why you're feeling the things that you're feeling, why you're doing the things you're doing, like, to, to go there and to see, like, why am I thinking the things that I'm thinking? Are these things true? Are they noble? Are they right? Like, to give our space the time, like, we crowd the time out so much, we fill it with everything else, but I think by being a student of ourselves, 
we cultivate this space of knowing what's going on here, what's going on here, so that, so that we're freed up to see, and where am I strong? And then where we find out where we're strong, we're like, praise God, thank you for making me strong there. Thank you. But we also find out areas that we need to grow. And those areas that we need to grow, we say, okay, Lord, show me how. Show, show me how to grow in these areas. And for me, personally, you know, uh, when, when I press in, one of the things that I find is that, man, I'm just, I'm just not uh, very bold uh, when it comes to evangelism. I'm just not. It's, it's easy for me to stand up here and talk to you uh, most of the time, uh, like to some degree, because I get to go this way. I get to speak out. There's not a whole lot that comes back, right? Um, even when I try to get stuff to come back, it doesn't really come back. Um, and so this is kind of like, it's not a dialogue, but when dialogue is entered in on the other side, evangelism is not something that's, that's a strong point for me. I'm not very bold, and I know I need to be, and I can be, but it's not my strong suit. And so I need to be around people that are strong in that area, that challenge me to be better, like that do this well. It's like, man, teach me how to, like, show me how, to, show me how, like, I need to surround myself with people like that. Uh, about, three year, about three years ago, I was uh, at Chipotle uh, with my mentor. We were getting lunch together, and it was great. I was, in, you know, excited to be sitting down with him. And uh, we order our food, and we're walking back to our table. And as we're walking back to our table, I don't know if I've shared this story with you before, uh, but we were walking back to our, our table, and uh, there was a group of people that I've never met before in my life. And, and, and so uh, my mentor, he goes over to that table. He's like, um, hey, uh, this is my friend Anthony. He's uh, studying to be uh, a pastor. That's what he wants to do when he gets older. Um, is it okay if he tells you about Jesus? I was like, What? <laughs> what? What even? Like, I didn't initiate that, man. Like, you initiated, like, it wasn't the Spirit leading me in that space. And, and I was like, I was just here to get lunch, and then you're going to do this to me, and uh, everything that you can do in your pants, I did um, right there. And, and because that's not my strong point. Like, I, I'm weak in, in that space. And so I need brothers and sisters around me that are strong in that area to challenge me. But you'll never know that if you, in, unless you allow yourself to become a student of yourself to be a student, to say, Lord, where am I strong? Thank you for that. But where am I weak? And help me to sure up those areas that I'm weak. We're living in a culture that is, you just build on your strengths, right? Don't worry about your weakness, just build it. But we don't get that luxury within the Christian life. These areas that we're called to grow and be obedient, and we need to grow and be obedient in those areas, right? We don't get the luxury of just, well, I'll be strong where I'm strong, and I'll just stay weak where I am. Self-introspection, going there, going into our mind, going into our hearts, like, why do I feel these? I think it's a, it's a good place to go. It's never going to accidentally happen, right? We're never just going to accidentally grow, and so we have to intentionally go to that place. Lord, how will I do this, and when will I do this? Verse 12 again. Not that I've already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I don't consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul says one thing. One thing, right? One thing I do, and usually if Paul's saying one thing, you know there's going to be a bunch of things that come, but if he's saying one thing, you probably want to pay attention to what he's trying to get after here. He says, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. If you're writing things down, I want you to write this down. First, I want you to write down, um, be a student of yourself if you haven't already done that. Um, be a student of yourself, but also live with the end in mind. Live with the end 
in mind. We, we don't want to be people who are living in uh, the past. We want to be people um, who know that God's at work in the past. We know that he's at work right now in our present, and we certainly know that he's at work in the future, right? If, if you're a believer in Jesus and you've been around uh, the church, or you've been around the scriptures uh, uh, very, very long, you know that there are some things that we look forward to as, as a faith community. You know that there are things that we look to as, as brothers and sisters in Christ, right? There's going to be a day when we get to stand in the presence of God, right? Where we're going to be face to face with him. And that's going to be an exciting thing, right? If you're a believer in Christ. If you're not a believer in Christ, I think the anxiety begins to pick up a little bit because you're going to stand before the presence of the Lord as well. And there's going to be a judgment there, judgment towards righteousness or judgment um, the other uh, direction as well. But we know as believers, we look forward to the day where we get to stand before uh, Jesus. We get to stand before the throne. And we're going to look forward to one day there's going to be a place where there's no more tears, right? Everything that's been wrong, everything that has gone wrong is going to be uh, made right. Um, And because we know those things are coming, we live right now with eternity in mind. We take what we know is going to be, what God has already told us faithfully in his word is going to be, and we start living our life towards that direction. Not to earn this, because we already have this in Christ, but we start living our direction in light of eternity. We start living our direction, our lives, uh, with the the end in um, mind. Live it with the the end in mind. Uh, When I uh, sit down with couples, and I love to sit down with couples, uh, uh, newlywed couples or uh, engaged couples to do marriage counseling with them or couples that are going through uh, like a hard time. I just love sitting down with people. And one of the things I will inevitably do, no matter where couples are, I'll ask them, okay, if everything were better tomorrow, right? If you were to wake up in the morning and everything was perfect and it was just the way that you wanted it to be, what would that look like? <laughs> and, and, they'll, and they'll give you a list of things, okay, like um, he would be doing this and she would be doing that. We wouldn't be fighting about this and just all this stuff would be better. Okay, okay. See, so if that's what better looks like for you, then what are the steps that we need to do or that you need to do to get towards better, right? Because it would be silly to think like this is what better looks like, but then that's just to stay here and do nothing in order to get to the better that they're hoping for. And so it's kind of the, the same here. Like what, what, we never, what never happens in that conversation with couples is that they, the, the word that never comes up is, is forgetting, right? Forgetting never comes up. Uh, it, never forgetting what happened. Usually people come in and they want to talk because there's a sequence of events that's taken place where he said something, she said something, or something has happened. And it's things that they, the couple doesn't want to forget or they don't seem to want to forget because if they forget, that means they need to forgive and they don't want to forgive. And so they're just like, we, we just can't forget. So forget is never in the realm of things being uh, better for them. Uh, because I think when we think about forgetting, we have this mentality that we have to act like it never happened. We have to have this mentality that, uh, you, that forgetting means, you know what, uh, you, don't ha- you don't get to be offended because we're just going to pretend it didn't happen. Let's just forget about the whole thing. But I don't think that's the case. That doesn't work in reality, and I don't think that that's what forgetting means in Scripture uh, either. Uh, I don't think that's what Paul means here. I think what Paul means when he says forgetting what lies behind, the forgetting here, he doesn't actually mean fail to remember what's been in the past. He, because there are some good things that he's done in the past. There are good things that we have in the past. There are some bad things that we carry along with us as well. But when he says, forgetting what lies behind, he's talking about no longer being influenced by what lies behind. No longer being affected by what lies behind. So a couple who comes and says, hey, we're, we're going to choose to forget 
about that. They're saying, you know what? It happened. I, I can't deny that it's happened. It's there. It's part of our story. We can't deny it. But we're going, we're not going to let that influence us anymore. We're not going to allow that to affect our present or our future any longer. It's not going to have any power over us whatsoever. And so what Paul's saying here is forgetting what lies behind is breaking the power of the past. Is breaking the power of the past and living with the end in mind. Saying, you know what? I'm not going to let anything get in my way of my pursuit of Jesus. I'm not going to let anything that has been good in my life, things that I've held on to, I'm not going to let that get in my way. I'm going to pursue Jesus. I'm not going to let any sin struggle that I've had in my past, I'm not going to get in that way and think that it disqualifies me from pursuing after Jesus. I'm going to forget what lies behind. It has no impact. It has no influence over my life. There may be ongoing consequences of things. But I'm not going to allow it to have any power over my life any longer. Some of the things that we deal with as believers and, and, and not being able to move forward is that we're holding on to something from the past. We're holding on to something really, really good and saying, I'm going to find my security here so I don't need to pursue. Or I'm holding on to something really, really bad and says, I'm not good enough to pursue. And Paul is saying, forgetting everything that lies behind, I'm going to pursue. I'm going to push forward. I'm not going to let it get in, in the way. I'm going to move towards the finish line. I'm running this race. I'm going to race with everything that I have. Have you forgotten everything that's behind in order that you might stay focused and run forward? See, when, when runners are getting ready to run, when they're training to run, when they're preparing for marathons or they're pre- preparing for um, sprints, uh, ideally, you're trained to keep your eyes forward, straight ahead. Don't look to the left, don't look to the right. You keep your legs pumping, you keep your arms moving, and you are straight ahead. It doesn't matter what everybody else around you is doing. If they're faster than you, they're going to pass you anyway. You don't, you don't want to see them passing you. You just, you just sit and you run. Don't worry about anybody else because here's what happens. You start worrying about what other people are doing. You start looking behind you, two things happen. You inevitably slow down because you can't run your fastest when you're, when you're like this. Straight ahead makes you run faster. And a second thing happens. You run the risk of tripping yourself up. You start looking behind you, your feet tangle up, and you're gone. And if you get tangled up, you start taking other people with you. Other people start dropping. So Paul says, forgetting what lies behind, I press on. I press on. Brothers, I don't consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God. The prize here is just knowing Jesus. The prize, it's the, it's the wreath. There's going to be a reward one day. He's going he's to give us crown, and we're going to lay it back down at his feet. We don't know exactly what that prize is, but we know that like, knowing Jesus makes it all that much better. And up, it's the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Verse 15, let those of us who are mature think this way. This is mature thinking, Paul says. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Other, see, there's, there's a growth process that he's talking about that will be revealed to you as you grow. Verse 16, only let us hold true to what we've attained. I want you to circle these words, okay? Straining forward, press on, and mature. Circle those groups of words there because straining forward, pressing on, it leads us to maturity. It leads us to the place of mature uh, thinking. Paul has said, develop a holy discontentment. Forget what lies behind. Now strain forward press on. Don't give up. Stay focused. Don't be complacent. Get moving. And this is, this is what can happen. 
um, in, in our, our lives sometimes. Uh, this, I think this is one of the pieces that tends to be missing, this idea of pressing on. We, we tend to think that, that grace means I don't work. Grace, grace means that, 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 I don't, um, that I don't put any effort towards the faith. I just sit down and God's going to do all the work. Yes, he's going to do all the work, but it's going to be through you. That's his grace through you. He wants to grow you, he, and, he, and he chooses to use our effort in a way to do uh, that. But a lot of times what happens is we, like, we just forget this idea of, of pressing in and, and pressing towards him. And, and because of that, like, we walk around, and I just don't feel like I'm connecting with Jesus. I, I just don't feel that. And I don't feel like I'm experiencing him very well. I, I'm really struggling right now to believe or, man, like fear is raking me over the coals. Anxiety is, is just kind of killing me. Yes, I belong to Jesus. Yes, he's made me his own. Yes, my identity is a child of God. I'm a citizen of heaven. That's who I am. I know that. But I'm not experiencing Jesus right now. And what often happens is we settle into this place of not pressing in. And for me personally, right, when I start to feel like this, and it happens, I, I have to ask myself this question how are you pursuing Jesus right now? How are you, like, he's in me, so he's not gone anywhere, but my experience is, is me pressing in to him. So how am I pursuing Jesus? And so oftentimes, he'll just reveal it to me, like, man, you're just, you're not in the word. Like, how, how, how can you be, how, how can we feel connected if you're not studying, if you're not reading? I mean, my, my prayer life is probably up and down in that moment or non-existent. Um, I've probably isolated away from community the way that I need to be, need to be connected to community. I'm not allowing people to challenge me. And so there's, there's this isolation from him and there's an isolation from others that takes place. And so when I start to feel this space, when I start to go into this, I'm just content, I'm just gonna sit on my hands, I'm gonna do nothing. I, 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 I have to ask myself, how am I pursuing Jesus? And, and, I, and I think for others too, if I have somebody who comes into my office or I sit down and have lunch, with somebody or a coffee and, and they say, man, I'm just not experiencing Jesus. They go through the same ordeal. I, my first question to them is, how are you in Jesus? And then I follow it up with, are you pursuing? Are you pursuing the one who has pursued you? Are you going after the one who's gone after you? And frankly, I think a lot of us, we're just, we aren't experiencing freedom and joy and relationship with Christ because we're not going after him. We're not pursuing him. We're not doing what Paul said. We're not running the race that God has given us to run. If we want to grow and want to experience the life of Christ, we run after the one who ran after us. We don't toil aimlessly. We know where we're going. He's given us the race. He's given us the lane. We run for the prize. And so if you're wondering, okay, how? How do we do that? When do we do that? We do it right now. In the context of our community, right now, I mean, there is a felt need. Whether it's an actual need or not, we don't know. But there is somewhat of a felt need. And, and so we start being the hands and feet of Jesus, right? We press into him so that we can pour out to others. We press into him so that we can pour out to others right now, okay? Uh, and this isn't going to accidentally happen. Again, I tell couples all the time that you'll, you'll never back into a good marriage. You just won't. Like, you'll, you, a good marriage takes work. Good, a good marriage takes a lot of hard work. It's good work, but it's hard work. And in the same way, you, you'll never back into a fruitful, fun, exciting life with Jesus if you're, not, if you're not engaged in the race, if you're just sitting on your hands. Like the prize, the joy, the fun, it goes to the runner. And so what I, I want to do is, is I want to challenge you right now. I, I know that there are some people in the room, I mean, Jesus is your main thing. And you are pressing hard after him. Praise God, I thank God for you. Mentor somebody who's not. Get connected to somebody who's not growing in that space. Pull people along in the race with you. And if that's not your story, if Jesus just kind of isn't your thing, 
Like you're just kind of, man, uh, maybe, maybe it's aspirational for me today, but really it's just not. It's not even on my radar. Um, I, w- I want to ask you to spend some time with him and to say, okay, okay, give me a desire for you. But for, for those who are in this place like of, man, Jesus, uh, I, I'm yours. I belong to you. I'm yours. You're mine. But I'm just not, like you're just not my main thing right now. I, w- I want to challenge you this week um, to, to know yourself right? To be a student of yourself, to, to spend some actual time, to give yourself time to think about this, right? We, we fill our schedules with so much, but move something. Move something out of the way so you can have some time to give yourself some time to go there and to think, Lord, what's going on in my heart? What's going on in my mind? Where do I need to grow? Where am I strong? Praise God for that. Where am I weak? Okay, God, if, if, if scripture is hard for me to get into, like, wake me up in weird hours of the night and say, get up out of your bed. <laughs> if, if prayer is just a non-existent piece in your life, then God, give me the desire to pray. Maybe it's two minutes, maybe it's five minutes, maybe it's whatever, just get a need that you can be praying for. Lord, give me a desire to pray. Know yourself. If you've just isolated yourself from community, let the Lord prompt you and challenge you into that because we need the body of believers around us, right? right? We can social distance for a time, but it doesn't mean that we don't stay connected with one another in, in different ways. Excuse me. We, we, we need each other. So I, w- I want to challenge you to take some time to, to study yourself and to press in. If, if you're still sitting on the blocks and if you've never got into the race, if the car is still sitting in the driveway and you've never put some miles on a thing, when are you going to do it? When? There's no better time than right now, right? And how are you going to do it? This week, you're going to allow the Lord to let you be a student of yourself and then you're going to apply you're going to be aware. You're going to be available to the things that he presents to you. Okay, let's pray. Uh, Father, thanks. Thanks for the time. Thanks for your grace. Thanks for your mercy. Thanks that um, you've given us uh, a space to chat right now. Um, Lord, I ask that you uh, would cause us to be aware. Cause us to be aware of where we are, um, thanking you for the work that you've done, as, but knowing that you've called us to run the race. You have a prize. And we want to run hard after that. And that which you've called us to, we want to go after. And that which you've given us, we want to lay back at your feet. So give us the desire to do that. Give us the, the will to do that. We know that you, you say um, that you will it in us to do the work. You will it in us to do good. And so it's your work in us. Nothing that we put our hands to is going to be anything that we've done in and of ourselves is going to be because you're doing that work through us. But help us to be available for you to do that work. Help us to be a student of ourselves. And we're just going to trust you with it. And Lord, I want to pray for our community. I want to pray for the fear and anxiety um, that's here um, for our nation. I want to pray for healing. I want to pray for, Lord, you could eradicate right now. Um, whether it's just eradicate the illness or eradicate um, the, uh, the fear and the anxiety, or um, if we're overreacting, er- eradicate the overreaction, but we don't know. We're just so open-handed to you. We're surrendered for your will. You do what you want to do. Thanks for our time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.